Amen. It's that simple, but that significant, isn't it? That in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. How do I know Jesus loves me? The Bible tells me so. His death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension are proof that he loves me so. Amen. To God be the glory. Well, this morning we're in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 10. If you have a Bible, grab it and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a pew Bible in front of you. You can grab it and turn to page 868. Page 868, we're going to read verses 1 through 12 in Luke chapter 10. If you haven't called on, we are making our way slowly through the Gospel of Luke. But I keep on trying to market it in different ways, so hopefully you'll stay engaged and won't get bored by what we're doing here. So we slowly crawl through the Gospel of Luke. And so the title of this current sermon series is called A Kingdom Mindset, because we've reached a point in Luke's Gospel where Jesus is articulating to his disciples the type of mindset they need to have as they prepare for his departure. It's in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 10, we read verses 1 through 12. This morning, hear God's word. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But... Whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come today and would illuminate our minds. That as we have a fog of distraction among us, perhaps this morning, as we have minds that are darkened by even our own sinfulness and deceit, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come, would shine your light upon our minds, upon our hearts, as we examine this passage of scripture today and I pray Lord that we all would leave here embracing Christ because you have first embraced us and help us to leave here today embracing 
the mission you've called us to as individual Christians and as a covenant body. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Boring. Those were the thoughts that were going through my mind as I was asked a question from the senior pastor of my home church, Westminster Presbyterian Church in Bluefield, West Virginia. At that time, I was serving as the middle school youth pastor. We were preparing for our missions conference, or pardon me, we were actually in the midst of our missions conference, and the pastor asked me a question. I knew it was more of a declaration. Tanner, would you be willing to have one of our missionaries come and talk to the middle school students on Wednesday night? And I said, sure, would love to have him. Well, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, boring, because I was concerned that the students might think in their minds, boring. Well, as I saw the missionary make his way into our meeting room that Wednesday night, and my apologies, if you, I don't want to offend anyone with this, but he was kind of the caricature of a nerd that you would see in all of your favorite sitcoms. He was tall, he was skinny, he had the, the pocket protector with his ink pens. And he sat down in front of all the middle school students and he asked them, what do you want to be when you grow up? As you can imagine, that question fell upon deaf, dead silence for what seemed like an eternity, when a few began to answer, oh, I want to go into the military. Or another one said, I want to be a math teacher. Another one said, I would like to be an airline pilot. And he shared about how he, what he wanted to be when he grew up was he wanted to be an engineer and how he was currently living in the Middle East, serving as an engineer and how he's helping rebuild the infrastructure of that nation where he served as a missionary. I'll never forget one of our energetic and enthusiastic and extroverted middle school students asked the question, raised his hand and says, what does all of this have to do with Jesus? I thought you were a missionary. And the gentleman looked at the young man and he said, would you like to hear about Jesus? And the young man said, yes, I would. And he said, would you like to hear about what it's like to be a missionary in the Middle East? He said, yes, sir, I would. And, he, and he, then he looked at the, the young man and he said, do you promise that you won't harm me or my family? And the young man said, yeah. Why do you ask me that? And the missionary said, because I serve undercover for Jesus in the Middle East. And if the government knew what the, the real work I do among them, my life could be in danger and so could the life of my family members. Suddenly, it was no longer boring. <laughs> he looked at those middle school students that day and he said, I don't know what God wants you to be in terms of whether or not an engineer, an airline pilot, a a school teacher, but here's what I know about every single one of you that is a follower of Jesus Christ. God wants every single one of you to be a missionary. And they all said, you mean we all got to move overseas? He said, no, God wants you to be a missionary wherever you live, work, and play. And why do I share that story with you this morning? As J.C. Ryle exposited this passage of scripture, here's what J.C. Ryle said. 
these verses have a special reference to ministers and teachers of the gospel. So in your mind, you might think, boring. But here's what J.C. Ryle said. But these verses contain truths which deserve the serious attention of all the members of the church of Jesus Christ. Why? Because every single one of you that is a follower of Jesus Christ, God has called you to be a missionary. God has called you to embrace your God-given mission, which is to be a witness for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, where you live, work, and play. Now you might say, Pastor Tanner, I, I didn't really come to church this morning to hear that. I want to encourage you this morning as you worship Jesus this morning, you're going to go enjoy a wonderful Sabbath nap and a Sabbath lunch. And as you head off into work tomorrow, know this, that no work is mundane when you approach that work like you're a missionary for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in this passage, as Jesus unpacks the God-given mission he has for these 72 followers of his, he gives us 10 imperatives. But relax, I'm not going to go Charles Stanley on you today and give you 10 points. But I want you to see that in this passage, there are several directives that our Lord and Savior gives to us this morning if we're going to embrace the God-given mission that God has given us to be missionaries here in Bartow, where we live, where we work, where we play. What are the directives that Jesus gives us as we embrace our God-given mission? The first directive is this, to pray. To pray. Now, I don't want you to miss the fact that in verse 1, we see something very special here. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Don't miss the fact that this is a special time in redemptive history. Uh, Norval Geddenhus says in his commentary that at this point in Jesus' mission, he was about six months leading up to his crucifixion and his death, his burial, his resurrection. So Jesus is beginning to sense that time is short. He's preparing for his departure and he's preparing his disciples for his departure. And so what Jesus does here with 72 of his followers is very similar to what Jesus did with the 12 earlier in Luke chapter 9. He sent his disciples out two by two, but we see here in verse 1 that Jesus sends out 72 followers two by two to prepare his way as he enters all of the cities and towns there in the Transjordan area. But as they go, he says this to them, verse 2, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, if you read all the Gospels, you might think that Jesus only said this one time. Because Luke's Gospel, for some reason, is the only Gospel that records this. This whole setting and section. But in the Greek, when it says that Jesus said to them, it's an imperfect tense, which means it's not only something that Jesus said in the past, but it's something that Jesus said repeatedly and continuously, I believe, in this six-month span leading up to his crucifixion. And what does he say to his disciples? The harvest is plentiful, 
but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of harvest that he would raise up laborers among you. What is your God-given mission to be a missionary? And where does that work begin? It begins with prayer. It begins with prayer. In a couple of weeks, you're going to hear another church planter in our denomination by the name of Dr. Tom Hawks. Dr. Tom Hawks is going to come here in three weeks from today, and he's going to preach in this pulpit, and you'll at least get to hear one good sermon this, this year as you hear Dr. Hawks preach. Dr. Hawks has planted churches in the past, planted a church in Charlotte, North Carolina a number of years ago, and now he's actively planting a church in Fernandina Beach for us in our presbytery, in Florida Presbytery. Recently, I was at a Zoom meeting, Zoom call with Dr. Tom Hawks, and he was sharing with us how one family has just committed to being a part of their core group. And this is what the, the husband said to Tom. He said, Tom, my wife and I have been praying for a long time that God would send us a Reformed pastor that would put a Reformed church work here in Fernandina. He said, in fact, we were considering moving so that we could go to church somewhere where there is a Presbyterian Reformed church where the Word of God is preached faithfully and Christ is exalted every Sunday. What happened? God honored the prayers of those saints. And without us knowing it, as a presbytery, we called and commissioned Dr. Hawks to go there to plant a church. And what we didn't know, but we should have known, is that the prayers of God's saints had already gone before us. You think your prayers don't matter? Yes, they do. You serve a sovereign, gracious God who commands you to pray to him and ask for him to raise up laborers for the harvest among us. So what should you pray? You should pray for God to raise up missionaries and church planters and future pastors from among us. I've joked often about Kenny and Karen Meeks' grandson that Weston will probably be my replacement someday. Who knows, he could be a missionary or a church planter among us. He's extroverted enough definitely to do it. Sunday school teachers, you should be praying not only that the, the, the children behave in your class, but that the Lord would do something within their hearts, not only that they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but that God might raise up, even from among us, future missionaries, pastors, church planters. Why should we do that? Because Jesus commands us. Embrace your God-given mission. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Can I be honest with you? Many days it doesn't feel like the harvest is rich and plentiful among us. There are some days as ministers and as, as ministers of the gospel, we feel like we're tilling concrete. Not only soil with rocks, but some days it feels like we till concrete. 
And yet we should pray that the Lord would raise up laborers among us, but I also would say that the Lord would send us persons of peace, which is what he says there in verse 5 and 6. Whenever a house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. Pray for persons of peace in your life. That God would Pray for me and Patrick. Pray that God would send us persons of peace. That as we seek to engage people in gospel conversations, that God would put in our path people that are receptive to spiritual conversations. That, that God would draw to our, our sanctuary, our house of worship. That God would gather to our groups that gather for study. Receptive people. God's elect that are ready to hear the gospel. For whom should you pray? You can pray for me. And by the way, uh, Patrick's cell phone and my cell phone are listed at the bottom of the bulletin. You can text us anytime you want and say, love you, preach, we're praying for you. But also you have in your bulletin this morning already, already some other people you could be praying for. Rebecca Carson is one of our missionaries. You can pray for her this afternoon as a church. I encourage you as you go to lunch today to pray for Rebecca Carson. Pray that the Lord would would. would Use her ministry with such fruitfulness that God would raise up other laborers of the harvest field among her. And then you see on your other, the rest of your prayer sheet, other missionaries, church planters among us. Okay, I beat the dead horse, didn't I? But it needed to be beat. If you're going to embrace the God-given mission that God's given you as a missionary here, it begins with prayer. Pray to the sovereign God of the universe. That he would save us. He would save people among us. And he would send us for his glory. The second directive that Jesus gives us in this passage is not only to pray, but to communicate. But to communicate. It's, it's amazing. You get all these different conferences and stuff on evangelism. But at the end of the day, you've got to share the gospel. The gospel is news that needs to be shared. Years ago, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a wonderful reformed expositor, was asked repeatedly to engage in debates. And he refused repeatedly to engage in any, any debates. Do you know why? He says no one was ever argued into the kingdom of God because the gospel is news that's simply to be shared. And so the second directive that God gives us in this passage through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is to communicate the gospel. Look what he says here. He tells them in verse 3 and following, Go your way, directs them to go. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So we'll get more of that in a little bit here in the passage about how this is going to be a road of suffering, not a road of comfort if you accept God's call and embrace your God-given mission as a missionary. He says, Carry no money, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. In other words, he's saying to them, be dependent upon God for success. Be dependent upon God for your provisions. And he says here in verse 5 and 6, Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. It was a Semitic greeting of shalom. But with deeper significance. Because the scriptures say, that there's no one righteous, not even one. That we've all rebelled against God. And so we need to hear the message of the gospel, which is a message of reconciliation, as our Apostle Paul says. And so we implore you, be reconciled to God. And so this greeting of shalom and peace carries a deeper gospel meaning in this passage. To say that there is one who's called the Prince of Peace. And you're at war and in conflict in your soul. 
He's come and He's reconciled your relationship with the holy God of the universe so that you can have peace with Him. And Jesus commands him in verse 5, say this, peace be to this house. At some point in your life, you're going to feel that conflict in your heart because you're not at peace with God, perhaps. Some of you, as we open up the scriptures this morning, if we talk about embracing a God-given mission, some of you may have sensed the Holy Spirit prick your heart this morning that you say, missionary, I'm not even sure I'm a child of the King. And so, friends, my, my encouragement to you this morning is that you would be reminded of the gospel. That salvation does not depend upon man's desire or effort, but upon God's sovereign mercy alone. That you serve a God of peace, and he's come to give you peace that surpasses all understanding. And perhaps what you need to do this morning is before you communicate the gospel with someone else, you need to preach the gospel to yourself this morning and remind yourself that for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not by works, lest any of us should boast. And it's that gospel of peace about a sovereign God that saves us from start to finish that our Lord Jesus highlights in verses 9 through 11, he tells his disciples in the 72, verse 9, Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. And then he goes on to say, verse 11, Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. The kingdom of God in this passage is a summary of the gospel message that is preached. What does it mean? It's significant what's being communicated here. What's being communicated here is the sovereignty of God and our salvation. That God is king, that Jesus is king, and that we're saved not by our own desire or efforts, but we're saved from start to finish from God's work alone. How this world needs to hear that they have a need. How they need to be reconciled to a holy, just God. And Jesus is the only way. And as we communicate the gospel to them, that sovereign king of the universe may use our feeble words by his Holy Spirit effectually calling and drawing them to himself in that moment. Have you embraced your God-given mission as a missionary here? And if so, are you communicating the gospel to those you know and love? When I first moved here to Bartow, by the way, next week's going to be three-year anniversary. Congratulations, you put up with me. You deserve a reward. But when I came here, 
the presbytery that we're a part of is Florida Presbytery, and they, they asked me to go to a training in Huntersville, North Carolina, in Evangelism Explosion. And just a little bit of personal history and complaint. Uh, there was a point in my life when there was a, a particularly unfruitful time of ministry, uh, when I was a part of closing a church in, in Asheville, North Carolina. And I met a gentleman that worked for Evangelism Explosion at that time, and he basically told me that if I, two things. Number one, if I wasn't Dutch, I wasn't much. And then number two, he told me, that if I had not trained our people in evangelism explosion, that there was no, no, it was no rocket scientist was needed to understand why the, the church was not succeeding, wasn't growing. And thus, at that moment, I felt like a failure. And so, needless to say, evangelism explosion kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Well, the presbytery asked me to go to Huntersville to be trained in evangelism explosion and a new tool that they had put out. And I told them, I said, look, I've got a bad personal history with this. You don't want me to go. And they encouraged me to go. They said, you're perfect one to go because if they can sell you on it, then we can sell anybody. So I went reluctantly. And we went there on a Friday night. It was a Friday night and a Saturday night in Huntersville, North Carolina. And Originally, we were told that we were going to go, we were going to learn this gospel outline, and we were going to visit some folks in that church, and we were going to share the gospel with them, and people have been visiting the church. When we got there, for whatever reason, the session said, ah, I'm not sure that's a great idea. You just need to do cold calls. Cold calls are my least favorite thing in the world. And I was the biggest skeptic because I said, Friday night in Charlotte, North Carolina, I don't want to go talk to people about Jesus. They just want to get their, their checks cashed. They want to get a meal in their belly. And they want to get on to the weekend. But here's what happened. We went to a, a grocery store complex and went into a yogurt shop and began talking with one of the workers there. And she was receptive. The next day on Saturday, we went to the local mall there in Charlotte and had three gospel conversations with people that were interested in what was happening. What the Holy Spirit did in my life that weekend changed me because the Lord convicted me of a major weakness in my own life and in the life of the churches I had served. We had done a wonderful job of communicating the gospel, but what we had failed repeatedly at doing was equipping our people to be able to communicate the gospel to those they know and love. It's so what I learned that day and what I was reminded of that day is really the four stages of discipleship. The four stages of equipping folks for ministry. And you can see it. It's nothing revolutionary because it's exactly what Jesus did. The first stage is I do, you watch. The first stage is I, I talk, you listen. And there's a sense in which the worship service will always be that in, in a sense because the word of God is to be preached and proclaimed. You're to listen, to be fed, and hopefully be changed by the Holy Spirit moving. But the second stage of discipleship and equipping is, I do, you help. We see that in Jesus' life and ministry, don't we? Because Jesus goes from teaching the crowd, Jesus goes from teaching the disciples to saying, the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, we need to heal, uh, we need to feed these 5,000. Jesus asks them, well, what kind of food do you have on you? We've got a couple of loaves, we've got a couple of fish. Well, Jesus in that moment, whether we realize it or not, is taking his disciples into the second stage of discipleship, a second stage of equipping, which is going from I do, you watch, I teach, you listen to, I do, you help. 
And now we see here in Luke chapter 9, and now in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is moving his disciples into the next stage of equipping a discipleship, which is this. You do, I'll help. I'll coach. Remember in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out the disciples two by two. They go, they preach the gospel, they heal the sick, sick but they come across this one stubborn uh, demon-possessed man, and they come back to Jesus and say, things were going great, but we came across this one guy, and Jesus says, oh yeah, remember? Uh, I forgot to tell you. Well, he didn't forget to tell him, but it was all part of his providential plan. He says, that one only comes out by prayer and fasting. And then by the end of our Lord Jesus' ministry, as he begins to ascend, he takes his disciples to the fourth stage of discipleship and equipping, which is this. He delegates. You do. I'll support. Here's what I would say we do well in the Presbyterian Reformed world by and large. We do a great job of box one, stage one. I do, you watch, I teach, you listen. If I'm to critique my own ministry of the years, even in a sermon like this, as I encourage you to communicate the gospel, I have been guilty over the years of, of creating what Kim Blanchard has called disillusioned learners. Because I want to say to you guys, I do, you watch, I teach, I listen, you listen, and now I'm going to send you out on Sunday morning into Monday morning and say, now you go do and I'll watch. And what we need to do a better job of, what I need to do a better job of as your pastor is be intentional about creating ways to grow you and equip you in ministry. And so Christian Education Committee, as you meet tonight, here's the question you need to ask of all of our ministries. How can we better equip the saints for ministry? During our Sunday school classes, during our connect groups, during our kids club, during our Sunday school hour, how can we go from just I do, you watch, I teach, you listen, to now having people that are some sort of an apprenticeship? Where we do, they help, and eventually they take the lead and we help. It's happened here actually on Sunday morning. Have you noticed that occasionally we don't only have Patrick preach, but we have elders in the church preach? That is part of that equipping process. Why? Because the Lord might be raising up some that you know and love among us to be a future pastor in the ARP denomination, to be a future church planter or missionary in our denomination. And so as Evangelism and Outreach Committee, they have committed that once a year they're going to try to train you in how to share your faith. Why? Because we want to be faithful to our God-given mission as missionaries to help you communicate the gospel with those you know and love. Which brings us to the third directive I want us to take a look at this morning in this passage. If we're going to embrace the God-given mission God's given us as missionaries, not only do we need to pray and communicate, but we need to anticipate the responses. I want you to notice in verses 6 through 12, there are two responses that Jesus warns his disciples they, were in, they will encounter. In a verse, he, he, he Warns them in verse 3, go your way, behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So he, he gives them a heads up that this is not going to be an easy task. It's not for the faint-hearted. But he tells them that they're going to encounter two responses in verses 6 through 12. One, they couldn't re 
encounter those that are receptive to the gospel, those who are hungry to hear, or they could encounter those that are hostile to the gospel or resistant. Notice what he says in verses 6 through 12. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him, but if not, it will return to you. In other words, a person of peace with someone who's hungry to hear, who's receptive to the gospel conversation. So Jesus is trying to warn us and prepare us for the God-given mission he's given us. There are going to be some people that are going to be receptive. They're ready to hear. But he says in verse 10, But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, they're hostile, they're resistant. Go into the streets and say, Even... The dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying they can perform what's a prophetic pronouncement, a symbolic action, that as they are wiping the dust off of their feet, they're saying, God will judge you for your resistance and your rejection. Of the gospel. And thus Jesus is saying to them. In this time of redemptive history. It will be far worse for them. Than Sodom and Gomorrah. Because Jesus himself has come. The second person of the trinity. And has shared with them. The good news of salvation. Rico Tice has written a book on. Evangelism called Honest Evangelism. He talks about how we need to crank up the courage meter. And as we step across the courage meter and begin having conversations with people about Jesus, expect one of two responses. People will either be hungry or hostile. Can I be honest with you? There are different seasons in my life where my courage meter is either full or empty. And part of the reason why Jennifer and I escaped to that horrible Forsaken land where Mickey Mouse ears rule is because that's where I go sometimes to get my courage meter filled back up. And so on Friday, we went over there, and I tried to cross the courage line and enter into some gospel conversations with people I had just met while waiting in line for some rides. One couple was from Beckley, West Virginia. (laughs) Amazing. They asked me, why are you here? I said, I'm kind of trying to be anonymous today and just have some fun. What do you do for a living? Well, the cat's out of the bag after that, right? I'm a pastor. Really? What church? I share with them. Unfortunately, I never heard of you. I'm sorry. I told them to tune in. Uh... They shared with me their stories of coming to faith and which church they now attend because they no longer live in Beckley, West Virginia. They live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I anticipated when I entered that conversation with them, it could be either hungry or hostile. They were hungry to learn more about Jesus. Why? They were people of peace. There was another guy I met named Joe as we waited in, in, in a big crowd waiting for the fireworks to begin exploding. Joe had been a, <laughs> a truck driver for 40-some years. He's married to this beautiful lady by the name of Anita for 45 years. Jennifer was there with me, and several times, three or four times, I tried to steer the conversation towards Jesus. And every time the conversation went from enthusiasm and excitement to dead silence. 
Jennifer's such an encourager. After the fireworks were finished, we were walking away, and she goes, you tried three or four times. But I was met with what I would consider to be hostility because there was a lack of receptivity to the gospel. They were resistant. Why do I share that story with you? To let you know. Just because I'm a pastor and every time I tee up the gospel ball, it's not always a home run. There are many times I fumble and I feel like I have failed. But know that God will honor your faithfulness to communicate the gospel and just anticipate there will always be one of two responses. They'll either be hungry or they'll be hostile. But know this, the word of God will never come back void. It will accomplish what God wants it to accomplish because God is sovereign and so is his grace. So this morning I'm going to share with you a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said to the Metropolitan Tabernacle, every Christian in here is either a missionary or an imposter. Will you embrace your God-given mission? You are a missionary for Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're faithful, and I'm fickle. Heavenly Father, not only am I fickle, but I can be a coward and timid so many days. in spiritual conversations with those that I know and love, even with those within this congregation. I confess to you, Father, that many days I resist the work, the hard work, the labor of doing the work of an evangelist. And so, Lord, what I pray is that you would stir within us this morning a hunger To embrace the God-given mission you've given us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.